All right, so turn to 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 11. 2 Peter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm just going to read it out. Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for this record of what your apostle Peter said all those years ago. And we thank you that in many ways this was his, his last statement. This was him talking before he was due to die about the things that were closest to his heart and that he believed were the most important and to be understood and put into practice throughout all time. And so thank you for this word and please bless it to us and uh, help us to obey it and to be changed by it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Isn't that amazing? That we could have a faith of equal standing with the first apostles. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's described here as God as well as Savior. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power. Just prick up your ears to this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence and by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. This next sentence has a great ring to it as well. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith and virtue with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, notice that, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven forbid. And yet it so often happens that we would become ineffective or unfruitful in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word. So last Thursday, I, uh, I took my mum to All Souls Church because they've got a garden of rest there. So you can see All Souls Church in the next slide. And the garden of rest is just down the side of it. And we, the reason why we went there is because the remains of my father and my grandmother and grandfather are there. And my mum just wanted to go and spend a little bit of time there in prayer. And I was struck, as I am every time that I visit, by the epitaph on my grandparents' um, memorial, it says there at the bottom, every bit of their lives told. In other words, 
all of their life together, every aspect of it, counted for God. It was effective for God. Every bit of their life told. And, and I don't know about you, but those words grab me. They resonate with me because we want our lives to count for something, don't we? We want our lives to be effective. But maybe you're wondering, can my life actually count? Because for my life to count implies that there is meaning and purpose in life. And maybe you're not sure of that. And the, the reason why you might not be sure of that is because we, we are affected by a worldview, a secular worldview that is based on the theory of evolution. And if, if we hold to that theory, then there is absolutely no meaning in life. We may not have recognized that intellectually, but the implications of it are that there is no meaning in life. It is merely about the survival of the fittest. Everything that we do is about passing our genes on to the next generation, and then we're gone, we're finished. So that might be one of the reasons why you wonder, is there such a thing as having a life of purpose and meaning? Or maybe you've heard people say, well, you know, since God created us, he's the one who gets to tell us what our purpose is. But maybe you're saying to me today, yeah, Ian, um, I think I believe that there's a God, but I don't know whether I can get into an intimate relationship with God such that he can actually inform me what his plans and his purposes are for my life. Maybe you're in that place of searching at the moment. Or maybe someone is thinking, I'm barely surviving, let alone making every bit of my life count. In other words, you know, how can I grow? How can I be fruitful when the garden that I'm planted in just seems so barren? Or you might believe that there is meaning and purpose, and there is, folks, in raising your children and loving your wife and serving your community. The only problem is your sinful nature. You seem to be powerless to overcome the weaknesses that you have. And I often feel like this. I often feel like I'm shooting myself in, this, in the foot <laughs> and sort of spoiling all my efforts to raise my children well and to love my wife and to serve my community. Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe someone else is thinking, I've been a Christian for a long time, but sometimes I just wonder whether all of this knowledge that I've accumulated has actually borne any fruit in my life. Has there actually been any growth? How effective... Am I? And isn't it true that our Christianity can so easily slip into a cultural thing? We go to church on a Sunday, we go to life group, and it's a cultural thing, and it hasn't really, really grasped and gripped our hearts. Sometimes we can slip into that place. We kind of lose the plot a little bit. Or maybe your concerns today center on what the Bible calls the last times, because you're looking at what's going on in the world, maybe in particular at the moment in Israel the Ukraine, and so on. And what did Jesus teach? He taught his disciples that at the end of the age approaches, there would be apostasy. A fancy word, which means that many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's Matthew 24, 10 to 12. This is Jesus talking. So what can we do <laughs> to make sure that we don't turn away from the faith? Maybe that's your concern today. We all have different concerns. 
And so I think it's a tremendous relief today to read in the passage that that we're looking at that we can take steps so that we will never fall away. And in fact, the answers to all of the questions, all of the issues that I've raised in the last few minutes, the answers to all of that centers around knowing God. And Peter highlights this, and remember, um, Trevor explained so well last week that this is almost like his last will and testament. This is last, his last testimony to us. And he emphasizes it at the end of the letter, right at the very end. So if we look at 2 Peter 3, 17 to 18, he says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, what is, what is it that we know beforehand? That there's going to be a lot of deception, that false teachers are going to come. Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. In other words, get shaken in your faith. But, in contrast, this is what we're meant to do, grow in the grace, and here it comes, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So that's at the end of the, lesson, uh, of the letter. He brings up knowledge. And at the start of the letter, verse 2, he says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so what he was doing is he was using a literary device that was very popular at the day. Um, and it's, it's called um, an inclusio. I had to quickly check my notes because I'd forgotten. But basically, when, if somebody wanted to emphasize something... They would introduce the subject at the beginning of their conversation or their letter, and then they would put it at the end. So he's really emphasizing, he's doing his very best to emphasize to us that knowledge is such an important thing. And so today we're going to answer four questions. Why should we get to know God and grow in the knowledge of Him? Why should we know and grow? What has God done to help us know Him? How should we respond? And why should we respond in this particular way? So there are the the four questions that we're going to have a look at. First one, why should we know and grow? Well, the nutshell of this is that knowing God provides us with everything that we need to make every bit of our lives count for God. That's where it all comes from. And so we, we saw that, didn't we, in 3.17 to 18. He says, growing in the knowledge of God protects us from losing our stability. And then we saw at the start of the letter, verse 2, the knowledge of God multiplies grace and peace to us. Grace, God's resources, everything that we need for life and godliness. And of course, peace we all understand but don't necessarily experience. And notice here that it's not just that he's giving it to us, he is multiplying it to us. And then Peter builds on this idea that God multiplies grace and peace and resources to us in verse 3, where he shows that he does it by giving us, as a gift, everything that we need to make our lives tell. There do we see it in verse verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 
I would love to have everything that I need to make every bit of my life count for God and to be godly. And notice that the word godliness refers to the behavior and qualities expected of us as Christian. I want to be able to behave in a way that pleases God. I want to have the characteristics, the character, the personality that reflects and pleases God. And that makes sense, isn't it? Because we're told there that God has called us to His glory and excellence. And folks, I hope that we want that gift. You know, sometimes there's so many other things that we start to hunger and thirst for. But we need to hunger and thirst for that, to be godly, to be pure and holy. And I hope that we want the source of that gift. Look, notice the source of the gift there. It's His divine power. Wouldn't you like those gifts to come to you from a source of power? Wouldn't you like to have the power to be the kind of person who pleases God and makes your life count for Him? Because we all need that power. Often that's the problem, isn't it? We just feel like we know what we're meant to do, but we, we just don't feel like we have the power to do it. We want that gift, but we also want the power that comes with it. And how do we receive it? He's very, very clear there, isn't it? We receive the gift through our knowledge of God. So can you see, folks, that grace and, grif, um, grace and peace are multiplied to us by His power because He's given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Whatever your current situation is, you can receive God's grace his divine enablement and God's peace because you've been given everything that you need to handle life in a godly way. Don't allow Satan to deceive you into thinking that you can't make it in life, that you're not going to make it to the finish line. No, God is going to give everything that you need. And all of this comes through growing in the knowledge of God. So that answers the first question. Why should we know and grow? It protects us from losing our stability. It keeps us stable and safe. It multiplies grace and peace to us by providing us with the power and resources to make our lives count for God. Second question. What has God done? The big proposition here, the big idea, is that we can know God because of the work that He's done. Now, the kind of knowledge that Peter has in mind here, and it's very important for us to define this, it comes from an intimate and informed relationship with God. And so I could know a lot of things about Gail, but I'm only going to truly know Gail when I enter into an intimate relationship with her, and my knowledge of Gail needs to be informed by Gail. But how do we into this intimate and informed relationship with God. I mean, after all, He's God, hey? He's the creator of the universe. He's infinite. We're finite. He is eternal. We're temporal. He's holy. We're prone to sin. How on earth is He going to reveal Himself to us? And it's such a relief to know that God makes it possible for us to know Him. There are four things that he does here. 
He calls us. He gives us promises. He enables us to participate in the divine nature, and we'll talk about what that means. And he's freed us from the corruption of the world. So let's just consider these one at a time. First of all, he's called us. Look at that in verse 3. Do you see it there? He has called us to his own glory and excellence. You know, we're so self-centered that we often think that it all started with us putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, isn't that a relief? We think, it's, we think it all started because we put our faith in Jesus, but it actually all started because he predestined. He chose us before the dawn of time, and then he rendered it certain that we would put our faith and trust in him by calling us. Calling us. He called you. How can we ever worry that God isn't going to help us to cross the finish line when we remind ourselves of the fact that he called us? He called us. Then he gave promises. Oh, but, but before we move on to that, what, what often happens is we start to show an interest in matters, spiritual matters. And I just hope that, th- that there are people here today who have come to church because they're curious about God. They're curious about the Christian religion. And what you may find, and I'm sure it's, The fact that you're here is because God is calling you anyway, and you're starting to hear his voice. That's probably the reason why you're amongst us. Um, Just continue to listen. Allow him to call you, because he will. He'll call you. He'll reveal himself to you, and then you'll be able to put your faith and your trust in him. So God called you. He gave you promises. He has granted to us his precious and very great promises. You know, God is a promise maker. And those promises are recorded right throughout the Bible from start to finish. And those promises are not earned. A promise is never earned, is it? A promise is granted to us. That's the second gift. He's granted us everything that we need for life and godliness. And then he's granted us his promises. And Peter describes them here as precious and very great. I mean, to me, that sounds very appealing. It sounds cool. And notice that it's by Christ's own glory and excellence that we have been granted promises. Do you see there in verse 4? It says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. By which? What's the which referring to? It's referring to Jesus' glory and excellence. This speaks of the fact that the only reason why we can receive promises from God is because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that was able to die on the cross in our place. And so he makes it possible for us to become sons and daughters of God and recipients of his promises. You know, God doesn't grant his promises to just anyone. And it's because of Jesus' glory and excellence that it's possible for us to be the recipients of his promises promises. Now, what promises do you think he's talking about? Well, the commentators believe that what Peter had in mind was a promise that he mentioned in his very first famous sermon on the day when God poured out his Holy Spirit on Christians. And so Peter knew that this was God's work because he'd read about the promise in the Old Testament. 
And so we need to remember that God has promised us that he will put his Holy Spirit in us. And Jesus is the one who makes that possible. And folks, we mustn't miss the significance of that truth. I don't have to go to a special place. I don't have to do special things in order to enter the presence of God. No, God has put his Holy Spirit inside of me. I am now a temple of the Holy Spirit. If the knowledge that we're talking about is an informed and intimate knowledge of God, well, I can have an informed and intimate knowledge of God because he's inside of me and I am in him. So, God called, or he is calling you. He has promises that he wants to fulfill in your life. But what does it mean to say that we can participate in the divine nature? It doesn't mean that we now have a divine nature. And commentators believe that he's referring to the fact that we are now united with Christ and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Paul repeatedly refers to that fact as well, that we are in Christ. And this is what John quotes Jesus as having said. Let's have a look at it there. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. God has done so, such amazing work for us. He's called us. He's given us promises that unite us to God. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of us. And then lastly, he's freed us from the corruption of the world. Why would we need to be freed from the corruption of the world? It's because we now want to share in God's holy character. We want to be like God. And God makes that possible because he rebirths us. We become sons and daughters of God. He gives us the power to overcome sin through the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. So let's just take a moment to reflect on what we've learned so far. You can receive God's help. You can enjoy peace, even in this crazy nation of ours, Zimbabwe, because God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. You receive everything you, that you need through getting to know Jesus in an intimate and growing relationship with him. And that relationship is made possible because Jesus was the perfect and excellent in every way. And so his sacrifice saved us. He called you. He promised to unite himself with you. He places his Holy Spirit in you. And he frees you from the world's corruption. Hasn't God done amazing things to us? And I just, I just felt, you know, Trevor did such an excellent job of unpacking this and teaching this last week, but I felt like we just need to, to sit with it a little bit longer because we've got to respond now to this. I mean, when you think of the work that God has done, when you think of the lengths that he's gone to, to make sure that we can be in a relationship with him, we have to respond to that. So how should we respond? Big idea here. We must work 
in response to his work. We must work in response to his work. You know, we can only have an intimate and informed relationship with God if we qualify for his promises. So this is the first way that we need to respond. You know, if you haven't responded in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you don't qualify to receive God's promises. It's only once you've done that that you become his child, that you become the recipient, if you like, of his will, of his inheritance. And so that's the first thing that we need to do. If God is calling you and you just sense that you're being drawn to him, I trust and pray that a time will come when you just put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It may even be today. We don't like to pressurize people. We like them to come to that point so that they, they enter it with complete conviction. But maybe that is. Maybe that is today. Maybe today is the day where you just say, wow, God has done so much for me that I'm going to respond by putting my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ. But what about those of us who've already done that? Maybe you've already put your faith in Jesus, and I trust that most of us have. Then you must actively seek to grow. Why? Because of everything that God has done to make that growth possible. Isn't that what, what Peter is saying here? He says, for this very reason, make every effort. And he's talking about strenuous effort here. You get that sense in the Greek. Every effort. Why? For this very reason. What is this re very reason? Well, it's everything that God has done. He's called you. He's put his Holy Spirit inside of you and so on and so forth. Folks, if you think of Usain Bolt or someone like Kirsty Coventry, they, they grew up with that innate ability to be athletes and to win races. But does that mean that they didn't have to train? Oh, absolutely not. They train with all their heart, soul, mind, and mind. They, they worked and strained towards that goal. And God has given us special inequalities once we've been born again. But we still need to work hard if we want to cross the finish line without turning away and without falling from our secure position. So if you look at verses 5 to 7, Peter lists a whole series of qualities which we need to develop in ever-increasing measure throughout our life. And the list begins with faith and it ends with love. That was intentional. It begins with faith, when we put our faith and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then he puts love at the end to emphasize it because love is so important. Everything else in between is not in a particular logical order. Once again, the people of the day would have understood this as a literary device, which is just saying, emphasizing, these are the kind of things that you need to grow in, and you need to grow in them. That's what he was doing. Peter writes, add to your faith goodness. So it begins with faith. You put your faith and your trust in Christ for your salvation, but it mustn't end there. True saving faith leads further. It leads to change. It leads to hard work. It leads to growth. We need to ask ourselves today, are we growing in knowledge? Are we growing in self-control and brotherly kindness? Are you godlier today than you were a year ago? 
And folks, most of these characteristics here I've, I've just written here, they're, most of them are self-explanatory, but I would just like to focus on two of them because I, have the, I think they have particular relevance in Zimbabwe. Actually, let's make it three. The first one is self-control. Folks, every time I go out on the road, I realize just how little self-control I have. And it's, it's a sobering lesson. You know, we, we tend to think that we've got it all together, but it's when we're put under pressure that we realize whether we have self-control or not. So use that as an opportunity to work on your self-control. If God has given you from a place of power everything that you need for life and godliness, godliness on the road equals selflessness. It equals self-control. That's what we need to be like on the road. And yet so often that selfishness on the road brings out our own selfishness, doesn't it? We suddenly don't care about anyone else on the road. All we care about is whether we're going to get to where we want to go um, in the time that we had allotted. And so we just push in in front of other people and we do all sorts of things. That's self-control. Also, that word is used mostly in the Bible um, with reference to sexual sin. And so we need to make sure that we're growing in that area of self-control, of sexual sin, and not allowing our sexuality to dominate us, but rather allowing it to be in the place that it was meant to be, serving us and a good thing rather than a bad thing. So the self-control, goodness or excellence. That word there, goodness or excellence, depending on your translation, it's the same word that's used to describe Jesus when it says that he, he, he called us by his own glory and goodness. Jesus' glory, it's, it's the perfection of his character. And his goodness is the expression of that perfection through his deeds, through his behavior, through the way that he relates to other people. Is that happening to you? Are you growing in goodness? You know, there's a danger in this wicked environment in which we live that it will corrupt our goodness or maybe just show us where we really are and the work that needs to be done. And, you know, sometimes this can be quite discouraging. It can be quite frightening. But we need to move beyond that. It's, there's nothing wrong with having a sobering experience where we realize, I thought I was here, but actually I'm here. That's not the end of the world. In fact, God does it to us because he just wants to encourage us to keep going and to keep moving towards the finish line. And that brings us to perseverance. If self-control is your ability to resist temptation, to sin, then perseverance is the ability to bear up under, that's a literal translation of the Greek, to bear up under the external trials and hardships of living in the world. There's a very real danger that the hardships of living in this world will slowly corrode our belief that God is good and loving. And the other thing that they'll do is they'll tempt us to put our trust in something or someone other than God. We need to persevere. We need to hold on to God. He is the only solution to whatever it is that you're feeling in the trials that you're experiencing. So, we must work in response to his work. And then the last thing here, responding is going to, in this way, is going to keep us effective and safe. First reason why? Because it causes our knowledge to become fruitful and effective. 
He says, for if these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a real danger for us as those of us who are long-standing Christians. We, we think that we know so much about God, and we probably do. But sometimes that knowledge is unfruitful and it is ineffective. For example, we might know that God chooses to minister to the body by giving gifts of the Spirit to every member of the body. We know that. But are we actually asking God, what is my gift? How can I grow in that gift? How can I use it to serve the body? Folks, it's only when we actually get down to the nitty-gritty of obeying God and getting stuck into what He's called us to that we really prove that we know Him. And it's only in doing that that we really get to know Him anyway. You know, I was thinking about um, changing the oil on a car. I can go onto YouTube and uh, read, listen to a video about how to change the oil on the car. And I could learn from that. I need to be careful when I put the sump plug in not to cross the threads. And I could say to Gail, I know how to change the oil on a car. And you've got to be so careful not to cross the threads on the sump plug. But, you know, I only really know what it's like to cross the threads on the sump plug when I've done it. When I've put that little plug in and thought, oh, no, hang on, that's not going easily. This is what it feels like when it's crossed. This is what it feels like when it isn't crossed. This is what it feels like when it's a bit gummed up but isn't crossed. Can you see what I'm saying? It's only when we put these things into practice that we're obedient to them that we actually learn them. So we don't want to be ineffective in our knowledge. Second thing, it reflects good health. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. If you've been cleansed from your past sins, then the outward evidence of that will be growth. How can you be nearsighted and blind at the same time? Well, the commentators say that nearsighted could refer actually to closing your eyes. So if you're not growing, you've voluntarily chosen to close your eyes to the truth. And in some ways you become blind to it. And then the third point, if you pursue growth, then you will make it to heaven. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you in an, in an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, there's a danger that we will turn only to the scriptures that talk about the sovereignty and the work of God in our lives. And there are a lot of them. God does a tremendous amount, and He is sovereign. But there are also scriptures that emphasize our responsibility to respond to what God has done. God's choice is ultimate. His work is ultimate. But we also need to respond. We need to hold those, both those kinds of scriptures in the balance. And that's what we do. That's why Peter is telling us of our own responsibility here. And he's actually rendering it certain that we will cross the finish line by giving us these warnings. And if we have the Spirit of God inside of us, these warnings will stir us up to keep going and to keep strong in the Lord. 
So God called you. He chose you. He went to the extent of sacrificing his own son so that you would have the power to live a godly and fruitful life leading to your ultimate salvation when you die. But we must take responsibility for strenuously pursuing spiritual growth. God had made it possible for us to have an intimate relationship with Jesus so that we can grow in the knowledge of Him. So we must take steps to enter and cultivate that relationship. And all the time, this is so beautiful, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, empowering us, guiding us, helping us. Folks, getting to heaven is a partnership. And so just in conclusion, knowing God, having that intimate and informed relationship with God gives us everything that we need to make every bit of our lives count for God. How can we know God? Well, we can know God because of the work that He's done, all those amazing things that He's done for us. But we must work in response to those things. And if we respond and just keep steadily plugging away, we're not going to do it perfectly. There will be ups and downs. But if we just persevere, if we just keep going, then God will keep us safe. Nothing, nothing will take us out of his hand. And then we can cross the finish line um, and hear the Father saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Shall we pray? At Harvest, we always like to give people an opportunity from time to time to respond in faith to what Jesus Christ has done for them. And so maybe today's the day for you. Maybe you've been hearing God calling you for a long time. And maybe now is the time to put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you're just not quite there yet which is also fine. I would just encourage you to keep on coming, keep on searching, keep on exploring until you arrive at that place. But if you would like to put your faith in the Lord Jesus today, um, just pray this prayer after me in your heart. Father God, I believe that Jesus died in my place. I believe that he was a perfect man I believe that he was God. I believe that he was raised from the dead, which shows that his life was perfect and that he was an acceptable sacrifice. And so I'm going to turn away from managing my own life and I'm going to put my life under your management. Please forgive my sins. Please forgive me for doing things apart from you. And now I want to do things with you and in submission to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And now I'd just like to pray for us as a congregation. Um, Father God, we do want to be a, a congregation that is characterized by our knowledge of you, but not just a, a head knowledge. Father, just a, a knowledge of knowing you as our dad, of, of having you reveal yourself to us on a daily basis with all the different troubles and trials that we face in life. We, we just want to know you. We want you to reveal yourself to us.
Help us just to do the work that you call us to with the strength that you provide, with the power that you provide, with the self-control that you provide. But help us to do it, Father. Help us to get into your word um, and help us, Holy Spirit, to learn about the Father and then to put what we learn into practice. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.